Anyway, that's great. Philippians chapter 4. The well-known pastor uh, and author, A.W. Tozer, known for being a very straightforward, often very blunt, prophet-like preacher, uh, preaching at a Bible conference back in the 1950s. Dr. Tozer has been gone for many years now. I think he passed away in the 60s. But preaching at a Bible conference back in the 1950s, he said, uh, he said this. He said, I've been assessing the church for a long time. And my conclusion is, that, is, is basically that, that the church is politely bored with God. And he went on to say, you expect me to entertain you, you expect me to do something that will attract your attention and excite your emotions, because frankly, if all I do is talk about God, you'll probably be bored. Now, I'm not sure what Dr. Tozer's assessment of the modern church would be now today, 70 years after he made those remarks. I'm sure that his remarks would not represent every follower of Jesus, because there certainly are some dedicated, committed followers of Jesus out there who are hungry for the knowledge of the Word. They enjoy the study of Scripture. They enjoy hearing the teachings of the Scripture. But Dr. Tozer's, I would all call them prophetic remarks, uh, do reflect a, a sizable chunk of the evangelical world today because there does tend to be a consumer mentality among many churchgoers. And what we mean by that is that there are many professing believers in Jesus who, who view church as a shopping trip rather than an opportunity to worship the living God. Everyone wants to attend a church that's meaningful. Everyone wants to attend a church that, that gives them spiritual challenges and spiritual encouragement, uh, where you have a sense that you are discovering truth in the Word of God and a place where you're growing in the Lord. Hopefully, by God's grace, that's what we're helping to provide for you here at Whitetail Baptist Church. But when we talk about a consumer mentality, we mean that many people look for fun and, and excitement and entertainment without much personal commitment. They, they, they hunt for what I like to call the cotton candy experience rather than a growing relationship with the Lord Jesus. Because if you have a growing relationship for the Lord Jesus, it's not all easy. It's not all fun and games, I assure you. Or when it comes to God calling on you to die to self and, and, and to die to your own, uh, own uh, self-centered interests and so forth, that's not fun. That's not easy. That's hard. Following the Lord Jesus Christ has some wonderful blessings, but I assure you, it's not a cotton candy experience. And so A.W. Tozer, 70 years ago, what was already seeing a trend in the evangelical world that we continue to see today in many places. You know, the largest church in America, with an average Sunday attendance of over 43,000 people, never talks about sin or repentance. It just tells people how to feel good about themselves. 43,000 people flock to hear that kind of message every week. Now, we're not bashing bigness. There are some very large churches that are preaching the word, thankfully. But there does remain a significant consumer mentality in the modern American church. Uh, the, the humble worship of the true and living God has become, in some places, overwhelmed by the cotton candy. 
I just encourage you, don't, don't, don't let it happen to you. Well, this is our 18th study in the book of Philippians. And as you remember, we're in chapter 4. We're going to read again today our teaching section that we're kind of in. This little paragraph section that Paul has in Philippians 4, 1 through 9. All those verses kind of go together. We're going to read them and then take another piece of them to discuss today. Philippians 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, and the things which you learned and received and heard and, and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. We're continuing today to kind of develop our thoughts on, on spiritual stability or spiritual consistency. Remember from our last study, when we just looked at chapter, we just looked at verse 1, that, that one of the greatest challenges for all of us is to be spiritually consistent. Presuming that a person truly knows the Lord Jesus and has a desire to serve Him, I am convinced that one of the greatest challenges for us is to live a consistent spiritual life. We're surrounded by a world that's constantly enticing us to, to, to draw us away from the Lord Jesus. The distractions and enticements of this world are very strong, and unless we live in a little bubble somewhere, we're going to have to face those challenges. And although we grow in grace and we increase in sanctification, but we continue to battle the weaknesses of our flesh. We also have the devil and the demonic forces of hell seeking to destroy us. I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, you remember the words of the Lord Jesus to Peter. He said to Peter, Satan has desired you to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Peter later wrote that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So with the world and the flesh and the devil against us, it's not hard to imagine that consistency would be a significant challenge. Certainly not an impossible challenge through the power of Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit, but a very real challenge. And our knowledge of God's Word is very helpful, but even in our Bible knowledge, there's often a disconnect between what we say we believe and how we actually live. There's often a very unfortunate divide between our academic knowledge of Scripture and our day-to-day street-level living. But this concept, this concept of, of spiritual consistency, it is, it is all throughout the Bible. 
And, and I want to take just a moment and just read to you a, a list of passages, Old Testament and New Testament, that remind us to stand fast in the Lord, as we saw last time in our study there in, in, in verse 1. We won't take the time to turn to all of these. There's one we'll look at in just a moment. But let me just read these to you. Ephesians 4.14, Paul says, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man. Don't be children tossed around by every wind of doctrine, Paul writes. Ephesians 6.10, Paul wrote, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. James chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. He who doubts, James says, is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, meaning he has divided allegiance. He is unstable in all his ways. Psalm 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In the last verse of that chapter, Psalm 27, 14, uh, the, the, the psalmist writes, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Joshua 1.9, God speaking to Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, meaning, meaning to shirk back timidly. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Watch Stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. So we see in all of these passages that God is challenging us to be brave, to have courage. Don't be afraid. Trust God. Live for Him. Don't be blown about by every fad and trend that comes along. Trust the promises of God. Be stable. Be consistent in your spiritual life. Get off the spiritual roller coaster and plant your feet in the gospel and stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I suppose that, that, that any of us who truly knows Jesus Christ personally would admit to the fact that we all wish our faith were stronger than it is. We all want to be firm and steadfast and consistent. If you don't care about being spiritually consistent, then I would urge you to sincerely check up on your salvation because every person who has truly been redeemed by the grace of God should have a desire to live a stable, consistent, steadfast life for the Lord. Even though we know we aren't always where we need to be, we certainly should have a desire to develop stability in our lives for the Lord. We should all desire to be strong in the Lord. I don't know any true believer who wants to be knocked around by trials and troubles and problems in life. I don't know any true believer who, who, who wants to be defeated by temptation. We don't, we, we don't want the world and the flesh and the devil to trip us up and cause us to fall. 
I, I think we would all like to stand firm and be strong. But we also have to recognize that it, it won't be easy because we're in a spiritual war. That's why this term in verse 1 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, stand fast in the Lord. It's a military term because we're on spiritual military duty. We are in conflict with the enemy of our souls. So we all might say, okay, Larry, okay, I, I, I appreciate the exhortation to stand firm and be strong and be bold and be courageous and be stable. Okay, so how do I do that? How, how can I reach a good level of stability? You know, you look at followers of Jesus around you, and we all know lots of different followers of Jesus. Some of them appear to be very stable. Others appear to be very unstable. And, and, and then in between, there's all kinds of different degrees of stability. And you know, there, there's not really any deep mystery in understanding why some people are unstable in spiritual things and other people are very stable. Why some people are immature, other people are very mature. Why some people collapse under trials and, and crash under temptation. And other people endure trials and temptations faithfully. Some people always seem to be defeated. And then others always seem to be living what we would call the victorious Christian life. There's not really any deep mystery to that. It is a spiritual growth issue that can be solved by developing certain principles of spiritual growth. And I hope that that would be very encouraging to you. It should give you hope. Because you may feel like today that you are weak in the faith and spiritually unstable. You might be relatively new to faith in Christ. Maybe you haven't been discipled and grounded in the faith. And maybe there's a certain amount of instability in all of that because you haven't had opportunity to grow or haven't been taught what God expects of you. But the process is clearly outlined in the Word of God. You can learn it and you can live it. So, so be encouraged. If you feel like you're unstable, it's okay. You can learn to be different. And, and God tells us how we can do that. And I want to look at one more verse. It's very close by here, just a page or two away. It's in the book of Colossians in chapter 2. Colossians is the book right after Philippians. So you're probably just a, just a couple of pages away, depending on if you have a study Bible or not, or if, if you don't have a study Bible, it's probably just like one page away. Colossians chapter 2. And I just want to read a couple of verses there, verse 5 and verse 6. Verse 7. He says, For though I am absent in the flesh, this is Paul writing to the church in Colossae, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. When he talks about your good order, he uses a military term again. You're, you're, you're lined up, uh, ready for battle, you're, you're in, things are in good order, and he said, as I can see that, and your steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So we see Paul connects very, very clearly, he, he, he connects spiritual discipline with spiritual stability he said i rejoice to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith 
So the, the disciplined life becomes the stable life. He says, you receive Christ, okay, walk in Him. Be rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you've been taught. Take the Word of God, take the things that you're learning, apply it to your life, live it, organize your life around the Word of God and the things of God. And, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, would look at your life and he would say, I rejoice to see the good order and the steadfastness of your faith. So in order to be spiritually stable and not knocked over by all of the things that come your way, whether it's the persecution of hostile people or whether it's the temptation of Satan in the flesh or whether it's trials and troubles that just make up life in this fallen world, there are principles of spiritual discipline that will enable you to grow spiritually strong and consistent. Paul deals with a number of those in this teaching passage here in Philippians 4, 1 through 9, and we're kind of working our way through these principles. So for the first thing today, how can we develop stability and consistency in our spiritual life? The first principle that has to be applied on that path of growth is this. We must have peace in our relationships. We must have peace in our relationships. You can't live at odds with a whole bunch of people. You can't have all kinds of relationship stuff where, where this guy's mad at you, and now that guy's mad at you, and now this guy's mad at you, and now that guy's mad at you, and you're arguing, 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 and you're locking horns with people all the time. You, you can't be spiritually stable if your life is like that. You must have peace in your relationships. Look again at verse 2 and 3 back in Philippians 4. Paul writes, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I've always thought it quite interesting that the Holy Spirit, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, recorded for us the names of two women in the Philippian church who were, at, who were at odds with each other. Can you imagine the scene? Of course, you know I have kind of a, mo a moderately wild imagination. I can't picture all these things. But can you imagine the scene when Epaphroditus comes back to Philippi after his long trip to Rome to deliver this gift from the church? Remember, that, remember that's, a, that's kind of the background of the book. The Philippian church gathers this terrific gift to get to the Apostle Paul. They give it to this trusted man, Epaphroditus. He travels 800 miles. That's how far it is from Philippi to Rome. He travels 800 miles to bring this gift to Paul from the church. And then he's there with Paul for a while, probably a couple of months at least. And then he travels 800 miles back to Philippi from Rome with this letter that we've been studying. Paul wrote out this thank you letter basically to the Philippian church, tries to encourage him. So, so everybody is excited. Wow, Epaphroditus is back. He's been gone for, you know, months and months and months, maybe almost a year. And, and he's got this letter from Paul. I bet this is great. And so the whole church gathers on Sunday, and Epaphroditus brings his scroll, this letter to the church, and he hands it to the church elders to be read publicly to the church family. And they unroll the scroll, and they begin to excitedly read Paul's letter to the church 
church and they read through all this great theology and the love and the challenges that Paul expresses and they get down near the end of the letter and Paul writes this wonderful thing and, and the reader reads it, Stand fast in the Lord, my beloved brethren. And everybody goes, Yes, praise God, that's wonderful. And then he takes a long breath and he says, And Euodia and Syntyche, they, they look up, I plead with you, stop arguing! Yikes. Do I look for a place to hide? A chair to crawl under? A side door to slip out? <laughs> Do I think that rascally Paphroditus, he told on us, he ran on us out to the Apostle Paul. Or am I struck with conviction and, and immediately turn to my friend whom I'm at odds with and reach out a hand of repentance and forgiveness? I don't know. We don't know what they did when, when, when they, they heard their names called out in the public reading before the whole church. Well, but what, what would we do? Or well, what do we do if we we're called out publicly by the Apostle Paul in front of the whole church when our names are now enshrined in the Holy Spirit-inspired New Testament record for the last 2,000 years? Everybody knows who they are. Now, hopefully, it led to repentance and restoration. But I also want you to understand that this was not just some side note from the Holy, that the Holy Spirit brought to Paul's mind in the midst of this challenge to stand firm in the Lord. This is absolutely essential to spiritual stability, and Paul knows it. We must have our relationships in order if we are going to stand firm in the Lord. We cannot be in a state of unresolved conflict and grow in our spiritual stability. Why? Because unresolved conflict, at the very least, at the very least, leaves us in a state of uneasiness and upset, and it usually involves uh, even further hurt feelings and anger and disgust and often leads to wrath and bitterness and unkind thoughts and words, if not worse, and, and, and it hinders our fellowship with the Lord. It, it is rooted in our pride and our self-centered inclinations. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 for just a moment. Let me read you something from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5. The Apostle Paul, I'm sure, is well aware of this principle as he's writing these things, and the Holy Spirit of God is inspiring him to do so. Matthew chapter 5, I want you to just look at verse 23 and 24. Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. Paul writes, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus said we should resolve our relationship conflicts before we bring our offering to the Lord. This was spoken, of course, while the law of Moses was still in effect. So he's referring to a person bringing a sacrifice to the Lord at the temple, an offering of some sort. And he says, resolve your relationships with people before you address your relationship with God. 
Our relationships horizontally with people affect our vertical relationship with God. The Apostle Paul uh, undoubtedly uh, totally understood this principle. So he is addressing an issue that affects all of the spiritual growth uh, of, of these ladies in this church in Philippi, as well as addressing an issue that can affect the growth of the church. He pleads with these dear ladies in the church to be in harmony. Notice he says, in the Lord. Back in Philippians, or in, in Philippians 2, I implore you, name both of them, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Notice he doesn't say you have to agree on everything. He doesn't even say learn to like each other's personalities. He simply says, be of the same mind in the Lord. In other words, focus on the will of God. Focus on the purposes of God. Focus on the plans of God. Determine what our motivations really are. Why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing in the eyes of the Lord? Am, am I pleasing the Lord? Is my life pleasing the Lord? Is what I am doing in this relationship pleasing the Lord? Am I serving the Lord? Paul pleads with them to start going the same direction in the Lord. You know, when Paul first preached the gospel in Philippi, you can read that story in Acts 16. He preached it in Philippi first to some Jewish women who were down along the river. In order for there to be a synagogue in a city, there had to be at least 10 Jewish men, heads of households, to organize it. If you didn't have 10 heads of households in, 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 living in that city, that, 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 that area, then there could not be a synagogue. And apparently that didn't exist in Philippi. So Paul could not follow his ordinary outreach plan you know, to go first to the local synagogue to preach and then go to the Gentiles. And, and in the absence of a synagogue, Jewish people often gathered in an outdoor public place by, uh, by the sea or near a river, depending on their location. And there they would pray together and they would read the scripture on the Sabbath day. So Paul went down to the river in Philippi, you see in, in Acts 16, and there he found a group of women to whom he presented the gospel. One lady, one, one, one lady named, named Lydia is mentioned in Acts 16 who came to Christ. But I, I cannot help but wonder if Eudea and Syntyche were not also among the first believers in Philippi. You say, why would you think that, Larry? Because Paul says in verse 3 there, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. He says, these ladies, they, they were dedicated, committed servants of Christ. They labored with me in the gospel. Help them. I don't want to make a huge issue of this, but it is worth mentioning. In my studying of the passage, I discovered that the name, the name Euodia comes from a word meaning success or prosperity. And syntyche comes from a word meaning happiness or a happy event. So I found it kind of ironic and in some ways a little bit amusing that success and happiness were locking horns in the Philippian church. But note also with me that Paul pleads with someone here in this passage. He calls him true companion. He says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Many, many Bible students believe that this should be understood as a proper name. 
proper noun, a name. Sutsugos is the name. It, it, it's the word. It, and it means true companion or yoke fellow, meaning yoked together in ministry, and could very well be a proper name. There are three other people who are listed in these verses, Eodia and Syntyche and Clement. And so true companion could also be translated just as this fellow's name. There, with the three other proper names in the verse, it would make sense to understand it as a specific person since Paul is commanding him to help these women to get things worked out. Remember I told you uh, last time there were nine imperatives, nine commands in these nine verses? Well, the verb, the verb help is, is the next one. I think we could certainly understand Tsutsugos as a proper name being that Paul commands him to help Euodia and Syntyche. So let's put this together as I wind down today. You got two committed, dedicated female servants of the Lord who have found themselves at odds with each other. The conflict is apparently well known to the entire church. Could be ministry related, could be a personal conflict, but whatever it is, it, it is big enough that Paul has the liberty from the Holy Spirit to address it publicly and to plead with someone who we presume is a church leader to help them to resolve the issue. Several principles I want to share with you as I wind up. Five different principles is this. The first one is this. Paul addresses both parties in the conflict because you can't resolve an issue unless both parties in the conflict are willing to do so. There may be people that you are at odds with for some reason. If, if they are unwilling to, to, to resolve it, then you, you, you can't resolve it. It, it. it takes two people to, to resolve the conflict. So some things will never be resolved because there are some people who are unwilling. Unfortunately, there are some people even who profess to know the Lord who are unwilling. I expect that sort of thing from, from the unsaved world. I expect the unsaved world to have bitterness and to hold grudges and do all those things. But, but certainly, we don't, we don't want God's people to be doing that. But Paul addresses both of them. He says, I implore Eodia and I implore Syntyche. uses that powerful verb for both of them. And I implore, means to beg, to, to plead. Be of the same mind in the Lord. So he addresses both of them. Then this second principle, he, he pleads with them to be of the same mind in the Lord. The key to conflict resolution is having the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ was defined for us in chapter 2. We're going to read those verses in just a second. In fact, let's look at them. Just, just turn the page back. The key to conflict resolution is having this mind. Look at verse Verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he expands on that as, as the Lord Jesus Christ being the role model of what he just said in those first few verses. And I assure you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if we can live verses 1 through 4 of Philippians 2, we have just solved 99.9% .9 of our relationship issues. We fixed them. Because, because the key to conflict resolution is having the mind of Christ. Number three, one of the purposes of, the, of local church fellowship is to provide accountability for us. Paul, notice when he says, I, I urge you, true companion, to help these women who labored with me in the gospel. He doesn't tell his true companion to beat these ladies over the head until they shaped up. He said, help them. And that, and that is the same root word that Jesus used in the upper room discourse, John 13 to 16, that, that we call it the upper room discourse, those last words Jesus gave to his disciples during the last, during the last supper right before his, his crucifixion the next day. That same word, help them, that's the same root word that Jesus used in the upper room discourse to refer to the Holy Spirit. The one who is called alongside to help. The one who stands with us to help us. That is our job as the fellowship of believers to come alongside and help our brothers and sisters in Christ to live in peace. Number four, our horizontal relationships with people affect our vertical relationship with God. Standing firm in the Lord requires that we pursue peace in our relationships. And number five, unresolved conflict leads to instability. Our attitudes are affected. Our spirits become negative. The door opens to bitterness and hostility, and we become vulnerable to satanic attacks. So to be spiritually stable means, one thing it means, that is that I must pursue peace in my relationships. Which is why the Lord Jesus Christ said in the Beatitudes, he began the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Let's pray. Father, guide us as we try to resolve our conflicts. Conflicts are part of this world. We've all got sin natures. We've all got baggage from our past. We've all got issues we struggle with. Lord, help us to begin in our own families and among the people of God. And may we, by your grace, do our best to resolve our conflicts. We know, Lord, every conflict can't be resolved because some people are unwilling. Some people are, are unwilling to die to self and lay things aside, and, and, and we can't possibly resolve with them. But, Lord, help us to, to diligently work to live at peace with them anyway. May we remember, Lord, that these unresolved conflicts just really wreak havoc on our spiritual stability. It's so hard to live a consistent spiritual life when we have, when we have so many issues of relationship.
But by your grace, Lord, will you help us? May the Spirit of God tell us and guide us into what we need to do. Lord, may we be willing to lay down our own desires, our own pride, our own, our own self-interests. Self and help us, Father, to be pleasing to you in our relationships. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.